Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. French Open 2021 draw is out, and our three are all on the same half. That has never, ever happened before in a Grand Slam for as long as these three have been playing. It makes sense because by the time Novak got good, uh, Nadal and Federer were pretty much one and two at every single tournament, but it's finally happened. When you think about it, it shouldn't have happened because Daniil Medvedev is not a real number two seed. And if the French Open used a a seeding system like Wimbledon has used ever since 2002 with a formula that takes uh, surface into account and past prior results at the tournament, uh, Rafael Nadal would not be a number three seed in this tournament. Is Is this a mistake? Should the French open have made Nadal a top two seed and kind of taken a page out of Wimbledon's book, Joel. I don't think anyone would have minded if the French had just done that, but then it gets into a lot of the whole tennis complicated politics about precedence and what are we doing here and how does it affect other players and what's the future and why are you doing that? And of course, a lot of people who watch the game would be concerned about that because, Oh, now Nadal is in the same half as Novak instead of a final. I don't think he cares. So to get back into his head, I don't think he cares at all. I, I think uh, I don't think it matters to Nadal. I think so. This, so then we got to look at it that way. And I don't think it ever matters matter to Rod Laver or Pete Sampras or Jimmy Connors. You just go go play the tournament. So it'll be one of those commentary type questions. And uh, still, it, it would be nice to see him in the final. So they might meet in the semis. I think it matters even less to Novak because. There are no expectations really for him to win this thing because Clay is not his best service and he purportedly might have to get through Nadal. So what does it really matter what round Novak could lose? And if he doesn't and he makes it all the way to the final, that's just icing on the cake. But I, having Nadal, having to potentially meet Nadal in the semi as opposed to the final, I think is a total non-factor for Novak. I think, though, that a little, if, if that happens, I think Novak might potentially feel more relaxed in a semi than the stakes of a final. But again, this is just kind of like silly. This is like draw casting pre-tournament conjecture. And in a few days, the actual matches themselves get underway. And then we'll, we'll see. And by the way, their greatest match ever, I think, at Roland Garros was the 2013 semi that they had. That, then Adal won nine, seven of the fifth. So we'll see. And let's be honest about that match. Everyone knew it was a final. As much as I love David Ferrer, who was on the other half after beating, I think it was Sanga, if my memory serves. Uh, you know, everyone kind of knew, okay, here's the final. I know it says SF, but it's the final. And it was a, a brilliant five-set victory for Nadal. If it's going to be like that, it's going to be like that, right? Well, that's true. And the guy I felt sorry for that day. I was at that, just that semi, incredible semi, incredible energy. And the next match was going to be the French favorite Sanga who had beaten Federer in the quarters. So he was probably sitting, burning a lot of fuel, waiting to get his chance to try to reach the final. And between the energy of the crowd and the match, and I'm sure 
Sangha probably took in some of that energy from the semi. He was so flat in that match. And the last guy you want to be flat against, as you well know, Gil, is someone like David Ferrer. So I felt bad for him that day. That is interesting. One of those cases where scheduling affects things. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting day but, and a great match between Novak and Rafa. Yes. What's interesting, Gil, is who's in the other half. I mean, here's a, a an opportunity for Tsitsipas. Um, he's uh, playing well on clay. He uh, played a very competitive match against Nadal in Barcelona, and um, he doesn't have to face any of the big three if he can make it all the way to the final. That's why I'm happy about this draw because my biggest fear was that Tsitsipas was going to get drawn with Nadal or Djokovic and, and he was going to be put in their quarter, which was a possibility. And to me, Tsitsipas is either the second best player in the field or the third best player in the field, depending on how you look at him versus Djokovic. So, you know, if, if Nadal Tsitsipas was a quarterfinal, that's a draw that I would have not been happy with. I thought that, you know, that, that just would not have been balanced for me. So uh, I looked at the draw. I was happy. I'll tell you what, Nadal might feel more threatened by Tsitsipas than Djokovic. I think that's a, a very much a possibility, which even adds to the idea that, you know, Djokovic being in Nadal's half isn't some kind of tragedy for Rafa or Novak for that matter, because Tsitsipas is, is that good. But Tsitsipas has to play, uh, possibly, if they get that far, Medvedev in the quarters. Medvedev, who's never done particularly well on clay, but he's done well against Stefanos. So that's going to be – but we'll see. I mean, again, lots to be played. And, and on that other half, there's Dominic Thiem, who did get to the finals twice, and Zverev. So it's interesting that that other half – both halves are interesting. It's interesting how the draw shook out that way. And we haven't even talked yet about Federer. I mean, Amy, what do you make of, uh, of, of Roger's draw? That unfortunately, I hate to say this, that Roger in some ways in this tournament is just another player. He's kind of like woodwork because, I mean, obviously he's not. He's Roger Federer. He's one of the greatest ever, but he, Clay is not his best surface. He's trying to make a comeback where he's a major force and, and factor in professional tennis again. And um, he has not played well uh, so far. So uh, he's just kind of another player right now. But it, it is kind of an interesting historical note that he's in their half. Yeah. What do you think, Joel? Go ahead. Well, seated eighth. I mean, so here's Federer seated eighth at a tournament. And we'll see how it goes for him round by round weather involved injuries health i mean i think for Federer, it's most about just keep me healthy so i can play on grass please keep me healthy pretty much and build up the fitness i think it would be nice for him to get a couple of match wins i think he needs that confidence uh he he didn't look and this is what happens when you don't play but against pablo anduhar um in geneva he, he just didn't look confident and a lot of things looked there for the taking. And then, oh, he hits the net tape. Uh, or That's just how it felt to me that things were uh, set up nicely for him. And then he would kind of struggle to finish the points and um, reach the finish line. 
Uh, but he does have a, a pretty nice draw qualifier in the first round, which can be dangerous. Always on a three match win streak, right? Uh, not sure which qualifier that is, but Marin Chilich in the second round, Taylor Fritz is the seed that is nearest to him, uh, who, you know, he is not amazing on clay. Uh, Berrettini would ultimately be the player who he would need to beat to set up that Djokovic Federer quarterfinal that would be technically the, the matchup if the seeds held up. But if, if they play tomorrow, Berrettini is a, is a pretty he- heavy favorite, I'd think, Amy. Yeah, Berrettini's played brilliantly on clay this season. And Roger certainly can't think that far ahead. You guys are totally spot on that. He just needs matches. Um, in that Andujar match, he had the match on his racket. He was up a break in the third set and he couldn't get it done. You saw flashes. You saw flashes of the forehand. I, for me, watching that match, it was just, it was the mental, the match play mental was not quite there. And I just kept thinking he needs matches. He needs matches. He needs matches. So yes, I would like to see him uh, go as far as he can, but expectations are not high. It just shows you what a remarkable sport it is. Here's someone, Roger Federer, who's as skilled as anyone who's ever picked up a racket. And even he's feeling stale. And it reminds me of something that uh, Martina Navratilova said to me. She says, when you haven't played matches for a while, your head hurts from the exertion of playing matches because it's, we all know it's a whole different thing. And it's kind of, I find that kind of uh, delightful and refreshing. It's like, here's Roger Federer. No, sorry, you too. You too, you gotta go through some of the same stuff. I mean, it's like for, all the, for all the tweets of his form looking good and the practice, cause he's always gonna look good striking the ball and, and his balance, his beautiful Rogerness. Now he's gotta play a match and you're gonna play someone like Pablo Andu are on a, on a clay court and, and be up 4-2 in the third and, and misfire on some shots and see these, the margins that dictate everyone's game. It's, it's, it's kind of fantastic, but kind of like, wow, Roger too, him too. Yeah, it is. And Martina, I mean, gosh, how great is she? She is spot on because I have played singles matches after not having played for a while. And it's almost like you're talking to yourself, trying to control the voices in your own head. It's like, oh, you you hit the ball down the line too soon. You change your, oh, shut up. You know, I don't want to hear you. And I, <laughs> and I get in the car and I actually turn on the radio to try to drown out my own voice. But then after you play a while, you start to settle in and you start to be able to control your own thoughts. And um, it is fascinating that even the elite can struggle with that aspect of it if they're not match ready. No, they need matches there's no, and there's no... Yeah. No substitute for that. It's, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting takeaway for people. I mean, again, this will be my little crusade with uh, parents and juniors who don't play as many practice sets as they ought to. I mean, I hear a lot about workouts and going to these mini academies. And it's like in here, Roger Federer. And, and of course, I'm sure he played probably a share of practice sets. But again, there's, there's drills and there's workouts and then there's practice sets and then there's matches and there's the tournaments. And then, yeah, there was Roger blowing a 4-2 third set lead, just like Raise your hands if you haven't done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Well, the, the, the physiological term is atrophy. And it's what happens mm. when you don't lose your muscles. Mm-hmm. You lose your muscles. And it happens really quickly. Uh, you, can, you can work out for two months and build up your personal record to, to something. It's gone in two, three weeks. 
and happens with with the mental as well. I think that's kind of what we're getting at. So uh, I think a successful tournament is is Federer getting through the first couple rounds and and just feeling what it feels like to focus for three hours, to feel the pressure of a set point, of saving a break point, and to get that that repetition in. Let's go to Nadal now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Um... Alexi Popperin in the first round, they just played in Madrid. If this were like a Wimbledon first round and it was on the slick grass courts, Popperin would be a bit of a, Ooh, that could get tricky, but on, on clay court, that's, that's not so bad at all. Uh, Senegos in the area center who he center keeps drawing Nadal on clay center is in the quarter. Uh, but after that, Mofi, Schwartzman, Karatsev, uh, Basilashvili, Rublev, uh, some good tests there. Yeah. Um, some good tests for, for Nadal. But any big takeaways uh, looking at his quarter, Amy? Sinego is tough. Uh, he, he's playing well. Um, great on clay. Um, Karatsev, uh, he's the big mystery. I, I, don't, I haven't quite sussed out what his game is like on clay, uh, but he did beat Novak. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, you know, Baslas Vili, the, the slasher, it, it doesn't sound super easy or super comfortable, but I don't think Rafa minds, you know, he's pretty much seen it all. Well, and also I see, I think, I think it's intriguing for Rublev. Rublev now has proven himself with enough results at other tournaments. So now here's a chance to, let's see how he does at a slam, not just so much from results, but even let's say he gets to Nadal and how competitive that becomes. It's just though Nadal, Nadal at Roland Garros, time and time these contenders surface and he kind of just slays them, but we'll kind of see. And he would never, of course, when he gives his pre-match press conference, I'm sure he's gonna talk about how good everyone else is and how humble he is and how he's not sure how you have to see and we'll see how it goes. And he's gonna be uh, 35 next week. So um, we'll just see how all of these matches go. And it's gonna be some really, interesting uh grinding as always with Nadal just I I can throw in a little tidbit here too that I'm working on a piece on Nadal right now and you know I'm just looking at some of the tactics that are effective against him and this is obvious uh you don't want Nadal to get that plus one forehand so anybody that can return the ball and find his backhand much easier said than done um, that I think will be an effective tactic against him so when you look at the field well who can do that you know who can keep Rafa from dominating on that plus one shot Karatsev has a great backhand return in my opinion it's it's precise Mm. it's aggressive so um, that, that could be something interesting to watch. I think Sinner always challenges Nadal immensely. And yeah, Nadal ha- has won those matches. Uh, but uh, I think Rafa respects him so much. I think that's why Nadal selected him to be his practice partner in Melbourne. Because it's, well, you have such an amazing backhand that you really challenge me. And uh, Rafa wanted that in Melbourne. So, I mean, their matches are always really good. But, but Rafa's still class. 
he also hired, he also brought him on board so he could scope him. In other words, so he could measure him and see what the whole deal with him was because he knows this is a rising young player who's gonna get up there and up there. So he wanted to just get every bit of data possible from his movement and his ball. And so I guess, I guess the return that you're gonna study in your, in your piece, Amy, is the, uh, the, the backhand that goes wide to the forehand to open up the backhand or the forehand that goes deep cross court to the backhand. In other words, you need to return uh, deep to a corner to, to get in it against Nadal because anything else in that middle zone is kind of death valley. He's gonna step to his right and hit an inside out forehand or something or inside in, or he's gonna move to his left and just crush you with the cross court. Yeah, and, and Rafa's return position is so deep as we know that I'm starting to wonder you know, is this, are, are people kind of out thinking themselves trying to take advantage of his return position? Because it's just, um, it works for him and you wouldn't think that it would, but it does. Oh, at this, point, at this point, it's half the top 10, half the top 10 returns from the back fence at this point. So uh, I think it's something that we need to get used to. Team does it, Medvedev does it, Tsitsipas does it, Nadal so, you know, it, it's no longer, uh, it's no longer novelty, right? The developmental shot is the short slice serve, the righty wide in the deuce court, the lefty wide in the ad court, and even less than maybe even more so than the kick serve, because the kick serve will bounce up and forward. The slice serve will curve off the court a little bit. So someone who can hit that and maybe do something can alter the geography of the court. But otherwise, the, the three, the flat, the three quarter kick, it's like, it's fine. I mean, the, the thing Nadal does that the, the takeaway for someone who tries to do this is you better get into the point really quickly after you hit the return. You got to move sure. forward after you hit it. But again, the, the positioning, it, it works pretty well. Pretty soon they're going to have to build courts differently, build <laughs> stadiums differently to accommodate these guys. Yeah, like like they're all like Indian Wells. I just want to hit real quick on the the plus one point with when Nadal is, is serving. I mean, even Novak Djokovic has been dominated on short, serve plus one points on Nadal's serve the last two times they've met on clay. So we can look at, you know, a, a Rublev or someone like that. And well, who has a good return? I mean, no one, nobody has a better return than Djokovic and Nadal has still gotten his. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, like I said, easier said than done, uh, especially the way that Rafa moves and the way he can run around. Um, finding that backhand is exceptionally difficult, but Every player has a weakness or every player has some way to unlock the way to beat him. So um, it, it's just, you know, a lot of it, I think, is it goes back to the age thing and, and people asking the question, is this the year that he's beatable? And so far, the answer has been no. Well, I think our Nadal confidence as a as a collective is is pretty high coming into this French Open, having uh, having won two titles. Uh, this all starts on Sunday, which is unique from the other three majors that start on a Monday. And we were talking before the show. Uh, I don't know where you stand, Amy. J Joel and I really we really like the Sunday start, right? I love it. Uh, it gives people a chance to uh, take their family to the tournament, you know, really and uh, enjoy the weekend, look forward to it. I, I've taken my daughter to RG Kids Day, and I believe that was on a Saturday. So it, it just kind of um, and, and qualifying maybe a few matches going on. And it, it just kind of um, makes for a fun opening weekend. I love it. 
yeah, it's a grand start. And I think the French, you know, it's interesting though, I have to say, I mean, having worked multiple days at these events, that seems like an extra day, but that's not really the point. The tournament doesn't exist for, for me and other media and other people to turn into their jobs. I mean, and just think of a, of a tennis event starting on a weekend with a grand kickoff. I mean, I think it'd be great if each of the majors opened on a Saturday or Sunday and you had some icons such as at the US Open, you had Billie Jean King, you know, hit the first ball like you do with the Augusta Masters and had some grand thing that really kicked it off in a big way. And then you could have, it, it would air on TV on a weekend instead of the way tournaments start, let's say on a Monday at 11 and it's just kind of barely yeah. underway. So think about that from a standpoint of, of promoting the sport. Wimbledon starting in 2022 will no longer play, will, will play on the middle Sunday. That middle Sunday has been a a neat time again for some of us. I think Amy, you and I bumped into each other once on that middle Sunday at Wimbledon in the village and uh, hung out a little bit. But again, for people attending the tournament, it's delightful. It's or delightful. viewing yeah. on, on TV, you know, your, your home, you can watch TV. And I'm just now imagining the, the powers that be sitting down at a table and it's Wimbledon and ESPN. And they say, yeah, we're going to give you uh, we're going to give you 10 hours of programming every day, except for, for this on a Sunday. Well, what are we going to show? I don't know. You figured it out, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, That's it really that. is. Why I'm not even sure why that existed or why existed. TV let that it happen. It existed at Wimbledon for years because of the town and respect. They didn't have okay. They didn't have officials the last Sunday. They didn't play it all on Sunday officially until the '80s. They had the finals. The men's final used to be on a Saturday, so there was no. Tennis, it was kind of a respect for the town and the village and Sundays and a lot of communities. So there was no official tennis at Wimbledon on Sunday until the eighties. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but the, uh, so, so that's kind of where, where that came from. But as far as the, the decision of what to bring people, yeah, I know from working with Tennis Channel, when I've worked that middle Sunday at Wimbledon, we do a highlight show, you do show certain things of matches. Yeah, but now you can watch live, live tennis. Well, you guys know that I think that the Grand Slam should actually be expanded. So maybe even starting it on a Friday, I think would be really cool and, and have like this whole opening weekend. And why do I think it should be expanded? Because I think the women should move to best of five, which we've talked about before. But the, the point remains that this concept of a grand opening weekend is very fan friendly. I like that Friday night in New York, that'd be electric instead of the, the, the Monday night, which is a, a session that I've attended many, many times. It has a very special feel to it. Uh, but Friday night, I think it would be even better. Uh, all right. So Djokovic Sangren first round 3-0 head to head for Novak. They've met twice in a major as well. Uh, Federer will take on the very, very dangerous qualifier who will know exactly who that is tomorrow. And uh, Nadal <laughs> Popperin. So uh, bonus episodes of three coming your way. That'll do it for this episode. Make sure that uh, you're following us and you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Like, comment on YouTube. Subscribe as well. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.